0: I'm sitting all along. yeah. What it is is what it is. And tonight, in just a few seconds, if you can wait because I can't. What it is is what it is.
1: What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to episode 203 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. I'm Kenny Keith. And I'm joined as always by Vince Cummings.
0: What up, Vin? What's going on, brother? I hate to take the uh, cynical point of view, as I, you know, I'm never that way about the sport of boxing. But <laughs> this was probably the most uneventful Cinco de Mayo boxing weekend in a decade.
1: It's by far the earliest I've been to sleep on Cinco de Mayo <laughs> right? in a long, long time. I
0: mean, even though Floyd dominated the date for six, seven years, whatever it was. Yeah. At least you knew you were. Uh, loved them or hate them you were tuning in on on the Cinco de Mayo weekend to watch a fight and it was always a big fight no matter what this just man, something was missing brother and it certainly Bell you, and Hay weren't filling that void
1: no but I think part of the problem for you and I is is that we you and I are much like Bell you and Hay. <laughs> uh, we're kind of washed up yes. and, we, and, and we really weren't that good to begin with and age took over. It was a lot easier to stay up for a fucking midnight main event on Cinco de Mayo, right, regardless of who was fighting on it when you were in your 20s. Yes, it was
0: quite easy. <laughs> Just gas up on the liquor and keep going, buddy. Yeah, yeah.
1: Instead, we got, uh, we got an 11 o'clock start on the East Coast and we're served up. The very first female boxing event in HBO history. It was a groundbreaking moment
0: that nobody saw. Uh, oh, my God, was it painful. <laughs> Look, man, we'll talk about it later, you know. And, you know, if you're a woman tuning into the show, which I think there might be, I don't know, five to ten that listen. Right. I know of a couple, you know, a couple. There's there's one that's pretty goddamn hot, by the way. Oh, Shout out to Sandra, the, the young Cuban who knows her boxing too oh but yeah i mean we're gonna have to go a little hard on the ladies today
1: that's all right man that's all right um but we also have a fight preview um, yes uh coming up as jorge Linares defends his wba lightweight title um against vasily lomachenko a fight that you and i will be heading to early saturday morning oh indeed cannot wait Good shit. Um, Well, we welcome all of you to the 203rd episode of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spreaker, and Google Play. Stop by the Boxing Rant YouTube channel and subscribe to the show today. Follow us on Twitter at Vince Cummings 81 and at Kenny Keith Jr. All right, let's get right down to it, Vin. Uh, The post fight from Cinco de Mayo, May 5th, 2018 on HBO from the StubHub Center in Carson, California. It was the return of the WBC, WBA, and IBF Unified Middleweight Champion of the World, Gennady Golovkin, looking to tie Bernard Hopkins' streak of 20 middleweight title defenses, squaring off against Vonis Martorosi in the last-minute replacement. Um, then, look, we predicted a you know a knockout within the first three rounds. I'll tell you what, man, after that first round, um, I was like, um... How long is Triple G going to be playing with his food? And, wow, uh, what a violent eruption uh, from Triple G in that second round.
0: Yeah, uh, same same as you. I'm watching the first round. I'm like, man, Triple G looks slow as shit right now. What <laughs> the fuck is going on here? And, and you know, Vanus was getting off a little bit, and he landed that nice, nice straight left. and And you saw Triple G kind of recognize it as, okay, shit, you know. I guess I'm gonna to have to fight this guy. And, and and I think Triple G where Triple G gets not as much credit as he deserves is he's a lot smarter of a and more cerebral of a fighter than people want to give him credit for. All he was doing was let, let Vonis get a little comfortable here. Let him open up, let him think he can hit me. In the second round, I'll I'll f I'll found my openings and I will exploit the shit out of him. And he started throwing this explosive uppercut, lands a couple of them, which were beautiful, timed beautifully. Landed dead on the chin. Oh, he stuck with his jab, even through that finishing combination. You saw him throwing that jab out two and three times. Then the big overhand right. I, You know, it, it, it's, it's what we expected. You know, I'm not going to sit here and overly praise the performance. Triple G just knows how to handle business. He got in against a guy that doesn't belong in the ring with him, and he treated it that way. Thank you for doing that. You know, let's move on to the next fight. You and I both, nobody wanted to see this fight. But at least we got to see that destructive side of Triple G again, and you know it's still there all
1: these people and Vanus's pretty you know decent career that he's had all these big names Vonis has had a lot of big fights at one hundred and fifty four pounds, mm-hmm. and all of these guys that he has fought against, went the distance with drawn with been so close on the cusp um you know of winning that that elusive world title that he always wanted you know what I mean like he uh, andre you know Erslande Lara twice I mean. These were really, really tough fights. Went the distance with Jermell Charlo, right? right? In a competitive fight, these guys got very, very quiet after what Gennady Golovkin did to that guy they went life and death with. When he turned on the ignition in the second round, he took all of those thoughts that everybody was having that you had that you just spelled out. Wow, man, Golovkin looks really slow. He erupted with explosive quickness and the power. And like you said, going in there and taking a guy out, yeah, there wasn't any bodywork mixed into it, but what you saw was a guy who knew exactly what he needed to do to land the big shots. He didn't come in there flailing, left hook, right hook, left hook, right hook, and just ho- hoping that something lands. Right. Each devastating power shot that he finished Manus Marderosian with was teed up by that vicious, vicious jab. Um, I think that, you know... There's something very, very clear about Gennady Golovkin and his last couple fights. Uh, Danny Jacobs coming in as a cruiserweight. Canelo, now there's the suspicion that maybe he was even juicing um, for their first go-around. There was a much smarter, much more practical boxing uh, approach when Golovkin fought these two guys. When you fight at the highest levels um, and you are able to resort to a foundation and a fundamental skill set, it makes those fights Easier to deal with without having to take too much damage. He got caught clean in both the Canelo and Jacobs fight. There's no doubt about it. But the damage, no, he 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 sustained very little, um, if any, uh, in either of those fights. But what this shows is is that if Golovkin wants to, and yes, I I understand it's Von, Vonis Vana but let's not minimize, um, you know, the career of this guy. He's not a gatekeeper. That's not Vonis Smirnovian. No, is uh, he been inactive? Has he had promotional disputes? Has he had has um, he made really bad decisions throughout his career by flip-flopping through all the trainers that he's had? Right. You know, from Freddie Roach to Joe Goosen. I mean, I mean you know, back to an original trainer that he had years ago. You know, Vonis is a is a volatile personality. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you are like that and you're inconsistent and you're emotional, you make decisions that can be to the detriment of your career. Right. But he's always had the balls and he's always had the skill to compete with the very best in the world. He's completely outmatching this one. And I hope that the rest of the middleweight division takes notice that Gennady Golovkin is still um, the very, very cream of the crop. He is the best at middleweight. And until somebody else is able to get in there and do something different, it doesn't matter who it is, man. But he put everybody back on notice last night.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think there was any question, at least from an educated boxing fan's perspective, coming into this fight, that that's where he stood. I mean, even after the draw with Canelo, you know, whether you play either side of that as a fanboy and you think he lost and you're a Canelo fan or you think he won and you're a Triple G fan. Bottom line was it was a draw at the end of the day and you don't lose your place for taking a draw against anybody when you're at the top of the mountain. Especially
1: so, the guy that's number two.
0: Exactly. So, you know, and, and you, I I know you're going to hear people bring this shit up about, uh, you know, well, Martin Rose, you know, 154 pound, you brought, brought him up, a smaller guy. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Look at the tail of the tape last night. They weighed in day of when they got in the ring. They stare eye to eye, and Golovkin weighed three more pounds than him. I mean, you cannot get any fairer of a fight size-wise. There's this assumption that Golovkin, you know, because he is a beast, I think he's viewed as a, you know, that that, that persona kind of makes him seem like a larger-than-life middleweight when he's not. He's an average-sized middleweight. Yeah, he's a... That's why he's been in this division, and at the age of 37, is able to stay there because this is his natural weight. This is the weight that he belong, the weight class he belongs fighting in. Period. So you know, I don't, I don't want to. You know, you can make excuses if you want. There's a hundred excuses that can be made, and a and hundred statements that can be thrown out about why this fight shouldn't have happened. And Triple G ducked him and ducked him and whatever. The bottom line at the end of the day is this: Triple G handled business. He showed us that he's still got plenty left in the tank, and I don't want to hear any, you know, until one of these guys that everybody is ready to crown as the next middleweight, you know, the, the next middleweight champion that's going to dominate the division like G has over the last five years, until one of these guys actually proves it and has a big... Danny Jacobs still doesn't have a a career-defining win at middleweight. He's never won a legitimate middleweight title. It's not Peter Quillen. That ain't the guy, you know, that he... Yes, he fought a close fight with Triple G. You get credit for that. But you still haven't done any a lot outside of that. You know, Charlo, still just your second fight at 160 pounds. He, come on. Y- you got to prove it. This guy has proved it for nearly two-thirds of a decade as the best in the division. He, he deserves his fucking respect, period, whether you like him or you don't. You cannot not respect him. It's kind of gotten to the point where it's kind of run a parallel to LeBron James' career as me as a sports fan. I couldn't stand the guy. Everybody wanted to force feed you early in his career. He's the best in the NBA. He's the best. He's the best. He's the best. And then it kind of slowly he starts winning and starts showing you, this guy is the fucking best. And, you know, do I like him? No. But I respect the fucking hell out of him. And you cannot tell me he isn't the best player in the NBA. You cannot tell me Triple G isn't the best middleweight in the world. Period.
1: Yeah. No, look, it's 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 very, very clear, you know, I mean, let, you know, let's take, for example, you know, the agenda um, and the narrative of Pete, the poet and his minions at HBO. And, oh, and God. you know, I hate to say this, man, like, you know, we've been really, really hard on anybody that comes across as being, you know, sort of fake and 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 sort of creating these, like, alter realities, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. in the sport, like, crafting narratives that are so plain as day if you watch a sport for five minutes are not true. Right. Um, this HBO broadcast was absolutely awful. These guys are at the very bottom of their game. They got ring rust. I mean, dude, they're, <clears throat> I don't even think it's ring rust. I think Jim is slipping. Yeah. Max is strictly hot takes, you know what I mean? <laughs> and Roy is lost in between it because he's like, what is Max saying? And what is Jim stuttering for? I thought I was the guy that stuttered. Right. You know what I mean? That's my job. Don't be don't take my stuttering. You know? <laughs> right. But the whole story doesn't make any sense and, and 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 to your point and and the way I'm tying this in is the, you know, the prophetic pumping and just jamming down your throat of Canelo and Danny Jacobs because, you know, they're HBO guys too. Right. But it looked like the agenda was to minimize Triple G and lift up Canelo and Danny Jacobs for some reason. Let me just explain something to some of our listeners that I know do not know this, okay? Since the Triple G fight, Danny Jacobs has been in the ring with two no-hopers, okay? And he has looked awful against both of them. Let me pile on a little bit more, all those that want to say fucking, you know, he duck in the rematch with Danny Jacobs, right? You do realize that Vonis Martirosian was scheduled to fight Selinski, who was the last opponent of Danny Jacobs. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. Okay. So let's. Yeah. And when that fight was announced, the Vegas odds, okay? The biggest sports book, most important sports book in the fucking universe. I don't care how much legal gambling there is in the UK. Mm-hmm. Vegas odds mean the most. Vonis was the favorite in that fight. Yes. Danny Jacobs went life and death with the opponent that Vonis was supposed to face, who was the underdog. Yep. But life and death, and Triple G demolished the favorite in that fight. So you need to have all the pieces to the story. Don't just listen to what this pathetic representation of boxing announcing is. You, you and I, in the past, you know, we used to wear these guys out a lot, right? We've moved on from that. We just yeah. focus on the fights and the... And the drama that surrounds it, and just try to have some fun with it, right? I like to dip
0: my toe in every once in a while.
1: Every once in a while, you know, <laughs> there's no doubt about it. But you got to call a spade a spade. And HBO's broadcasting has become so fucking bad. Their entire product is awful. And if I'm Abel Sanchez, Tom Loeffler, and Getady Golovkin, and I fucking run that fight back, watching a little, you know, a little post game tape, right? You know, see see what went well, what didn't, whatever. Um, and I'm listening to that broadcast, I'm telling you right now, if I'm Tom Loeffler, I'm picking up the phone and saying, we're done with you fucking scrubs. You guys have fallen off the cliff. You're more concerned about fucking promoting your first women's fight of all time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And Max Kellerman comparing fucking Celia Brakis to Andre Ward than you are fucking promoting Gennady Golovkin. And when Golovkin's fight is on, all you want to do is cross-promote your other two fighters. It's like, stop it already. Can we just get down to the crux of this entire thing? Stop def- defending Canelo. Stop, stop, stop. You, all of you look like idiots. I'm telling you right now, if HBO does not fucking just pull a total Houdini trick, right, and pull Anthony Joshua out of the hat, I'm sorry, man. I don't see where this fucking goes. Canelo fucking this entire situation up has caused a, an effect on HBO where they have nothing. Next week, they're going to be old fucking Max the Shill who watches boxing five seconds out of his work week <laughs> right. is going to be announcing a Sadam Ali versus Jamie Mungia fight. Can you imagine what he is going to have to compare these two to because <laughs> he has no reference or database on either fighter, he's going to be comparing fucking Moonjia to fucking Salvador Sanchez.
0: Well, yeah, I was going to say he'll he'll compare him to Julio Cesar Chavez. Yes, yeah, it's it just it's gotten to the point where it's 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 boring. It's and a, a lot of it to me has to do with the fact that these guys aren't working thirty Saturdays a year like they were five years ago. It's just not there. And, and quite frankly, I don't know if HBO. You know, we got a big uh, apparently. A big announcement coming from Eddie Hearn here in America, not this week, but next week. And I don't know if somehow he's in the back pocket of HBO and HBO's kind of been holding back to, uh, you know, launch this new Matchroom USA with Eddie Hearn. But to me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, You know, boxing seems to be trying to move out of move away from networks outside of the PBC on Showtime being exclusive to that. You know, the rest of the United States promotional companies are trying to find ways, m- m- other ways to view their fights. I-, I I just don't see it. I You know, I'd be surprised and Eddie Hearns trying to steal all these fighters from Al Heyman now, and maybe that's the plan. Maybe that's what HBO is going to do here. But to me, it, you know, it, the ship has sailed, man. It, they're just, they, they've lost it. They've lost the narrative. They don't know what they're doing. I The fact that they're actually spending money for this, uh, for this card next weekend was Saddam Ali and Ray Vargas. You know, come on, this—that's a boxing after dark event. This is this. What? A, there's so many other fights that you could have spent your money on.
1: But it was supposed to be for the Golovkin replay.
0: And look, and yeah, Canelo replay, right? Exactly. But you know, at the end of the day, I, and they—they they're, were talking about Jacobs and Canelo so much during that broadcast last night. It's either that's the only thing they have left in their fucking boxing universe is those three matching up in a pay per view capacity for them to make money off of. I, I, otherwise, I don't get it. Uh, HBO just to me, could, once again, just shows that they they're just they're gone. They're they're. They're in the abyss of boxing nothing to me. They just don't understand the sport. And whoever is behind the scenes pulling the strings is completely lost.
1: Oh, there's no doubt that Pete Nelson is completely out of his depth. Yeah. You can sit here and try to make excuses for a guy that you might like, uh, you know, about lawsuits and acquisitions and mergers and, you know, this, that and the other. And that's affecting the budget. And Game of Thrones needs, you know, some fucking You know, an extra $500 million for some... some They got Ice
0: Dragon now, Ken.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? So, I mean, they're they're making fucking, what, you know, a little movie for the remaining episodes of it. Right. So maybe there's a shortage of cash. But that doesn't explain with, you know, what's going on with the product that they're actually able to afford presenting to us, Mm -hmm. right? It has turned into a completely warped and twisted narrative That is so irrelevant, and they are literally— I understand they're trying to make fucking lemonade out of lemons. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? I get it. But, dude, it has gotten so embarrassing, man. And since Pete Nelson has taken over as the head of HBO, they have gone off the fucking rails. HBO is at its worst point that it's been in a long, long time.
0: Good job, Pete. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Petey boy. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, and and look, you know, I don't want to harp on this too bad because, you know— but I'm sorry, you put that card on last night, and you're gonna HBO is going to make their uh, you know their social justice stand, and and they're gonna put a woman a woman on that's apparently the first lady of boxing, and I've never heard of her. This that and the other. I've heard the name. I they that you guys have got to understand. We're not interested in seeing women's boxing. Uh, and most boxing fans are not, and I and I noticed this extra push, and they're just. They're trying so, so fucking hard for it to become, you know, what, what women's fighting has become in the M- MMA, which, to be quite honest, you know, women in the M- MMA have kind of fucking floated the product here with, with no true male superstar right now with McGregor out of the picture and John Bones Jones gone. gone. And I think boxing has, has tried to catch that wave. It just ain't there, Jack. It ain't the same. Without a Ronda Rousey, though, it's difficult. Right. And, 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 you know, don't stuff this shit down my throat, man. There's nothing worse than than being told or being, you know, hey, you got you need to watch. This is, you know, this is relevant. Watch. that. No. No, it's not. It's boring. It's terrible. I don't want to watch lower-tier athleticism. Sorry. That's what it is. You want to be real about it? You want to fucking, you know, skate around the truth here? That was slow and plodding and boring. And 10 fucking rounds? Women shouldn't be fighting 10 rounds. No. They don't have the gas tank for it. Sorry, again, I'm not – this is no attack on women. These are just facts. Well, Ben, there's
1: a reason why in in women's basketball they use a smaller ball, right? Yeah. There's a reason why in women's version of baseball, softball, they use a bigger ball. Yes. Right? There are physical difference, physics and anatomy and all these things come into play. We don't need to fucking get wrapped around the axle on that. But I'll be honest. If I'm going to be force-fed and I have to watch a lower level of sport, I'd rather see it at the highest level of what women do. Right. Give me women's beach volleyball. Oh, do. You know what I'm saying? That was on
0: ESPN this past weekend. I sat and watched. Now, granted, there's fucking stems and ass galore. Right. But – it's competitive. It's fun to watch. I'm all about that. I don't have a problem with, with women's athletics, but there's just some things that it doesn't work. Yeah. In. And boxing is one of them. Yeah. It
1: just is. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, man, look, it was it was very force-fed. I mean, it was like the entire thing was, you know, it, and, you know, we talked about it at the beginning of the show in the Open, too, man, just the 11 o'clock start on the East Coast, and, and then you give us that as a lead-in fight. Look, this whole thing that Canelo fucked up. Um, you could salvage things in certain areas,
0: right? At least it was a Mexican that ruined Cinco de Mayo, Ken.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> a fucking American holiday. Um, <laughs> it's, it's it, you know, it's ironic. It is. But, dude, we get what this fight is uh-huh. against Vonis. Nobody really wanted to see it. We saw it. We th- What happened, happened. Triple G handled his business. But the fact of the matter is, man, just put it on at ten o'clock and make that a one fight
0: fight card, right? So I can just get on with my sleep. Honestly, in a fight like that, that's not truly a you know, it's it's not main event. It's that matchup, even though it it's involves, not an attraction. Yes, it's it's not that. So a fight like that, why why isn't that on at fucking seven o'clock on the East Coast and fought in the middle of the day on the West Coast? It, it, it's not an event like that. It doesn't need to be at midnight. This isn't fucking Tyson Lewis. This isn't Mayweather fucking Maidana. It's not that. And you don't have to. I understand in those situations. Right. You want to you know, all-encompass everybody and make sure you get as much eyes as possible. But we're talking about a fight that only sold you know, not even 8,000 tickets. There was plenty of seats available. This wasn't a, a highly anticipated event. Put it on in the middle of the fucking day. Yeah, it's
1: not like it's... Look, the only fight that could possibly fail in a daytime main event at the StubHub Center is the Robert Guerrero fight. (laughs) I mean, you know what I'm saying? This is Triple G. So whoever was going to go to that fight, they were all diehard Triple G fans, right? Yes. So they're going to go to that fight, whether it's at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on the West Coast... Yes. ...or if it's at 8 o'clock on the West Coast. It doesn't matter. You're still going to get the same gate. Yes. And with the size of those purses... I mean, dude, Gennady Golovkin probably had to just pay for his entire camp, all the salaries and everything else, with what he's going to take away after taxes with that million-dollar purse. Yeah. You know? I mean, to quote Randy Moss, I mean, I think Triple G in a million-dollar purse, he shakes his dick at
0: it. <laughs> he does. You at know? this point, after he cashed probably, I, I don't know how much he cashed in the Canelville, let's just say $15 million. Okay. Right around there. That's, yeah. That's, uh, that's not just significantly a lot less. That's yeah. fucking, that's it, it, hard to fathom. Working one day for 15, and then the next time you go out, you're working for one.
1: Yeah. The hourly wage on a fucking 12 round fight for that, for Gne- uh, for Golovkin, it didn't worth it. Right. That, that's why he handled business in about four minutes.
0: Unfortunately for all of us, uh, all that means is when they go back to the negotiating table, you know what Golden Boy is going to stand on, and that is going to be that you need us and we don't need you. Okay. Yep. Mo- moving on. Yes. <laughs> but the question
1: has been moving on to who? Who do you want to see? Gennady Golovkin in the ring with next?
0: Um, I would rather see him fight Billy Joe Saunders next. I think that's, to me, that's the more intriguing fight. Um, I would put Billy Joe Saunders' odds at beating him uh, right where I'd put Canelo's and everybody else's. They're, you know. To me, that's the fight that let's just finally get this fucking, this, this mission, this journey that Triple G has been on, all the belts, hashtag all the belts. Get it done. Go to the UK, sell out a fucking huge arena, you know, put on a fight, put on a brilliant fight, make a shitload of money, then come back and talk to Canelo. There's no rush to me for this Canelo fight. As long as he's fighting Canelo, the rest of the division is on hold. And there's too many fucking good fighters out there for, for us to just be in watching holding pattern fights, you know, like like Jacobs and, and Seletsky and, and, and whoever the fuck else you want. Charlo and Centeno, you know, all these all these other middleweights that were pulling up junior middleweights to fight Ken, right, and getting credit for fucking gassing them out in two fucking rounds, right? Now, yeah, I, th- these, th- I'd rather see the division move on from Canelo Triple G, but it's not going to happen. If it do- if it does, it's just briefly. If, if if that fight doesn't happen in September, it's going to happen next May fifth weekend, you know, two thousand nineteen. It's not going to be long.
1: Look, man, um, I'm with you with the Billy Joe Saunders. Okay, that's what I want to see next too. Yeah, and you know, it's it's not just look, look. My personal gut feeling is is that Canelo cheated. Okay, and I'm 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 pretty convinced of that. So until Canelo gets enrolled in Vada and signs up for testing, he has done nothing to show his ego is so big. And and now you look back. Oh, all, he
0: is a fucking diva. Uh, isn't he? I mean,
1: you look back on all these interviews with him about how he's just so self righteous and he believes in himself so much that he believes that he does not have to try to vindicate himself after this situation.
0: You know what he did? It's almost like in the Kodo fight. He was able to suck the remaining diva from Kodo, and he harnessed all of that. He already had that diva, the slight diva to him. Oh. And he uh, took—he just sucked it from Kodo, and he just he's, he's an even bigger diva now.
1: Oh, yeah. You could see the fucking, like, the, you know... The pink glitter like <laughs> cloud being sucked. It's like his essence was being pulled from his body as it's sitting there like levitated uh parallel to the mat. Right. You know? Oh, geez, man. You know, and that's and, and and that's the thing for me. If if Canelo is not going to do anything to try to fix his relationship with his, you know, I would say it's not his casual fan base, but there's a there's a group within the hardcore fan base that really, really likes him, even mm-hmm. though it's not, you know, Canelo's not your favorite fighter. You and I have always been really big fans of Canelo, you know, especially in the ring, um, you know, his, his his ego and his diva uh, persona uh, obviously have grown with his popularity. But to think that you are, you, look, Canelo has now stated by not enrolling in, in, in 24-7, 365, by not enrolling in Vada, period, you know what I mean, that he thinks he is bigger than the sport. So I say, fuck you, Canelo Alvarez. It's time everybody moves on from you, Mm -hmm. and we'll see how fucking much you draw and how big you become when the only fights that you can get are the Hugo Centeno's and the Selinskis of the world. Because I'm telling you right now, take the Billy Joe Saunders fight. Like you said, go to a big stadium overseas, make six, seven, eight million Mm dollars, come back to the United States, and boom, Derevchenko, right there. Boom. Next fight, Charlo. Charlo.
0: Boom. You Look, Charlo and Triple G will be such a polarizing fight. And uh, 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 whether Charlo is, is able to, in the next you know couple fights, raise his profile even more than he is, and he's on the rise right now, that fight will sell. It sells itself. It, it, it just does, period. It will be one of the biggest. It'll be, it'll be bigger than, than Triple G Jacobs, in my opinion.
1: Absolutely. As a
0: pay-per-view fight. Charlo's better than Jacobs. Exactly. And he sells more than Jacobs. Jacobs has a hard time. I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Did he sell 7,000 tickets in his hometown?
1: I think the last five fights combined, he has a sellout at the at the Barclays.
0: Ah, Jesus Christ, man.
1: Yeah, it's pretty pathetic. Um, all right, so let's move on from this. There's still a lot to happen. Um, you know, a, a lot of big fights. we got a big summer ahead of us, and if anything happens with Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez, it isn't going to be until the back half, uh, you know, the back quarter of 2018 anyways. You never know. I mean... If, if whatever's going on in the appeal process with the IBF and this Dariavchenko mandatory, you know, and, and he has to honor his mandatory by August, then it's, it's so smart, man. You fucking fight Dariavchenko in July, fight Billy Joe Saunders in October. You know what I mean? It's right. like, it's, it's so easy. Yeah, it's so easy. You don't have to fight him at a at a fucking soccer stadium. That novelty, yeah, that's great for the UK and whoever the promoters' pockets are. Put him in the O2 Arena. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. It's a
0: big ass fucking arena. Sell twenty thousand tickets. Yes, exactly.
1: Um, that's the path, man. Let's do Derry Evchenko in July and fucking Billy Joe Saunders in
0: in the fall. I'm I am so cool with avoiding Canelo. I, I really could not. Give a fuck if that fight ever If it does, I'm not saying I'm not going to watch it. I'm not saying that. I will be dialed in. The first fight was unbelievable. Yeah. But I do not care if it happens again. No. I don't. Come on, Canelo.
1: Let's see how big your little cinnamon nuts are. (laughs) Fucking (laughs) sign up for Vada.
0: Yeah. At this point, how is it not mandatory? No. Once you fail once, you should be stuck in 24 7, 365 for at least a year. No.
1: He is Canelo. All right, um, let's move on to another diva. And, you know, oddly enough, he is a light-skinned Mexican um, un- under the banner of golden boy,
0: right? <laughs> yeah. Ryan Garcia. They, they got this, this kid on the fast track. They, they might need to uh, pump the brakes there a little bit.
1: You know, look, this fight, you know, we can talk about it in a second. But just to, you know, kind of piggyback off of what you just started there, um, this is Ryan Garcia, you know, headlining as a teenager, on ESPN2 at the StubHub Center against Jason Velez. All right, on the surface, this is great. Very easy to market this as the second coming of Oscar De La Hoya, mm-hmm. right? Good-looking, light-skinned Mexican, right? right. A Mexican-American, I should say. Yeah. You know, um, who has some things about him that is very, very appealing. He has a star power to him, mm-hmm. right? But this fight even happening on May 4th at the StubHub Center is another, another ripple effect. It's another tremor. It's another aftershock after the big earthquake that Canelo Alvarez' decision to use PEDs um, has affected. Okay, he is the he dude. He's the bell cow. He's the cash cow of Golden Boy Promotions. Who the, else does Golden Boy have? They have a ton of super duper unproven young talent. Right. Guys in their early twenties. Guys even that are teenagers like Ryan Garcia. Those are the guys that they have. None of them are anywhere near to filling that void. No, right. So, yeah, you have Jorge Linares, but look, you know, Linares is a... Fuck- he doesn't
0: sell by himself.
1: No, he's a boxing nerd's jack-shack fucking treat.
0: Right. You know what I
1: mean? Right. That's what he is. He's not. He, he, he does not move the needle, and by Canelo's decision, it has thrusted Ryan Garcia into a spot. Golden boy was put into a position where they have to move somebody forward who may not quite be ready yet. And I can tell you right now, I said it in the preview, Vin, that Jason Velez, for as kind of average as he is, is just good enough, right? He just has enough pedigree and enough of a background to him that if Ryan Garcia is any bit of a suspect, Jason Velez will bring that out in Ryan Garcia. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. if Ryan Garcia is as advertised, he should have blown through Jason Velez, and it didn't happen. What I saw in Ryan Garcia is a guy that is nowhere even in the same conversation or echelon of fucking fighters as Oscar De La Hoya. Ryan Garcia has the wow factor and the smile of Felix Verdejo, right? and he has the hand speed and the delusion of Amir Khan. <laughs>
0: That's a good fucking comparison and a terrible mis- mix-matching of what you want to be as a fighter.
1: That's where he's headed. I'm telling you right now what I saw, this is way too soon. This isn't Mick Conlon beating up on fucking Home Depot clerks.
0: No. You know what I'm saying? No.
1: This isn't Shakur Stevenson beating up on cab drivers. This is not that. This is a kid that is not ready for this. Yes, he can counter a little bit then. Right, Mm -hmm. He stands more upright backing up than Amir Khan does, and look how well that has served him.
0: Very stiff. Horrible footwork. Yes, very stiff fighter. He cannot fight on the inside worth a shit. He he gets manhandled on the inside. By
1: Jason Velez! And look,
0: the only thing you can say about this fight for him, because there's really not that much good you can take away from it on his end, other than the fact that he is lightning quick. Okay, we get it. The guy, like you said, he can counter a little bit. He can time punches. He's quick enough to do that. And, and, and he just snaps these punches out there. And like, look, yeah, probably some of the quickest hands in the sport of boxing right now. But it don't—that's that, not all. It is that you can't win just with that. Go ask Andre Durrell. Go ask any number of a hundred fucking fighters that that have quick, fast hands that that just wasn't enough to take them as far as they thought it was going to take them. You know, I—I I think this kid has potential and he has talent. And if there's one thing to do from this fight, so to go back and watch and take away from it the numerous flaws that you have as a fighter that need to be taken care of before you hop on the mic after a fight talking about, I want to fight Tank Davis. Yeah, Tank Davis is young, but Tank Davis is a, when you watch him in the ring, he operates like a polished veteran fighter.
1: And he's strong as fuck, He knows
0: how to handle himself, and he is manhandling established pros. That fight is so fucking wrong for Ryan Garcia. He would get teed up and fucking – his head would be in the second row before the fourth round. He might land a few punches, yes, but to me, another thing that was kind of exposed was – and I get it, Velez never never been stopped. That's fine. At some point, he's going to have to – you would think it it, – you know, with a fighter of Ryan Garcia's stature. Let's say this. If you put Velez in with Tank Davis tomorrow, Tank Davis would knock him out inside of six rounds. Absolutely. So, you know, it doesn't need to be said any further than that. The kid is just not fucking ready. Talent galore and could be tuned up in the next two or three years and become a great fighter. But right now, there's got to be some fucking major, major improvements made.
1: Well, it's not only Golden Boy being forced into this situation. But it is Ryan Garcia's own little self-delusion in his social media campaign that has thrust the cart in front of the
0: horse. Well, let's be honest. He's got a a gaggle of, you know, young women that that love the hell out of him and fucking gay men sweating him.
1: I don't know about gay men, but I do know about young women that that sweat dudes like Ryan Garcia. As soon as he gets flatlined and he's on his back, oh. they moving on. Yes,
0: exactly. <laughs> that, that's a very fickle fan base there. <laughs> yes, it is. The gay men probably ain't going nowhere, though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> at least I have somebody to fucking rock him to sleep at night.
0: <laughs> um, Might be what he prefers anyways, Yeah. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see.
1: To me, the way that this is trending for Ryan Garcia is is very eerie. Uh, you know, it's it's there's something like a a little nerve wracking in the comparison to the likes of Felix Verdejo and Adrian Broner. There's just too much of that becoming the, you know, the persona engulfing the ability to be subjective, to be able to understand where you really and truly are. Listen, I wish more fighters went out there and called out, you know, the perceived toughest guy in the division. Because very few do that, and very and, and even less follow up with proclamations like that. Right. But I agree with you, dude. Tank Davis, for as little and young as he is, he is a tank. Yes. And he will decapitate Ryan Garcia. So pump the brakes, Oscar.
0: That and I was going to say that's more you know not on the kid as as much as it is on Golden Boy. I agree. It's this is their they are the ones that have to watch that fight and go, all right. You know, as much as we need to, you know. S- hyper-advance this kid's career because we have not that, mo- that not that many money makers in our stable, we're going to end up ruining this kid before the age of 21, and we're not going to make a fucking dime off of him. Yeah. That's well, on them. They need to check this kid.
1: You know, like Ice Cube said, Ben, um, if you don't check yourself, big dicks in your ass are bad for your health, <laughs> and that might be all that's left for Ryan Garcia
0: <laughs> in the post-career phase. Well, you know, if you're one to enjoy those some of those things, that might be good for him. I don't know. <laughs>
1: oh man uh co feature spike o'sullivan versus berlin Abreu. cool who all right moving on uh may 5th on awe from london england it is the fight card dubbed shit show <laughs> tony bellew versus david hay part two a heavyweight spectacular extravaganza
0: that that I'm going to be honest. I said it in the preview show. I'm not watching the fight. I have not watched the fight. I actually, I thought I DVR'd it. I didn't. So I'm definitely not going to go searching somewhere to watch it. I saw the knockout. I saw the finish from, or the knockdown and the finish from Bell Look, this fight is what it is, man. If you get pumped for it, I get it. Domestically in the UK, these David Hay holds some stature that I don't know where he was able to achieve this from. He's never proven it to me on any level as a fighter. You may put him on this perch as being some type of great fighter at one point in time. I never did. Same way with Tony Bellew. I don't have anything against either one of the guys. But I'm just not interested. I'm really not. The level of you know of this fight to me is just it's nowhere near world level. It somehow garners that that attention and that money over there. These guys are fucking robbing stealing they're they're just fucking they're, they're walking out of the bank with bags and bags and bags of money and i just i don't to me i don't get it i, I don't need it explained to me i just don't get it look
1: we know what david hay is
0: yeah okay overrated
1: yeah he's overrated he, he's very popular in the united kingdom he's always on tv he definitely looks the part the guy has been at inactive his entire career he has been awkward at best his entire career um, he is one of the most overblown hype jobs of all time. He he had a sparkle in his eye at the Cruiserweight division briefly. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it was all down he- you know downhill from there. I mean the guy outside of being a great self-promoter is a horrible boxer. I mean this guy's he's not good, Vin. No. And, especially and he, not now. And he's old and he's inactive, okay? Look, Tony Bellew, I like his personality. I don't clown t- you know Tony Bellew like I understand he's one of the very few fighters that has come out and said that he's going after the cash because he wants to make sure his family's taken care of in the end. He's going to take these circus attraction fights because he know they, you know, they pay. And this was easy pickings for him, just like it was the last time. This ended a lot sooner, but what do you expect? I just want to like bring some perspective into this because I've been hearing some concerning things from some people that listen to our show, and maybe we're just idiots in that we have dumbed down our listeners of this show. Um, you know, with our just fucking our bullshit, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. I Tony Bellew is a he's a world level fighter. He is far from elite. Yes. Let's remember, not too long ago, like within the last, like I don't know, six years, even uh, a little further back, maybe seven, eight years. Right. His toughest fights. I mean, I mean, this is his entire career. Vin. I'm not talking about like fucking. I'm not. I'm not grabbing a snapshot. Right. Of his career. This is over look four fat. or five years. Yeah, it, it's it's over a longer period than that. He had back-to-back fucking fights with Oval McKenzie. Then he fought Nathan Cleverly in one of the most horrible fights in the history of boxing. Danny McIntosh, Edison Miranda, Roberto Bellanti, back-to-back fights against Isaac Chalemba. Then he gets knocked out in the sixth round by Adonis Stevenson. Right? Yeah. At, this is all at 175 pounds. Valerie Brudolph. Julio Cesar Dos Santos, a rematch that everybody asked for against Nathan Cleverly. That fight was putrid. Evika Bakurin, Arturis Kolowskis, Matthias Masternick, Alunga Makubu. And then he raises the cruiserweight championship of the world against arguably, and I, I don't know anybody that would argue me on this because I don't know if anybody even knows who BJ Flores is, the worst fighter in the history of the cruiserweight division. Yes. Not only is BJ Flores a tragedy on the microphone, this guy is one of the technically worst fighters I've ever seen these in my are, entire life. It's a fucking tragedy as a human being. Exactly. And then <laughs> back-to-back fights against a fucking circus elephant and David Hay. So stop, guys. I mean, look. All his trials and tribulations and epic fucking runbacks and and rematches all happened at 175 pounds, and now you think he's making his mark at heavyweight?
0: Yeah, I, look, I, this I, is a shit show. Stop! And he's calling out, you know, I, if you got to give Tony you one thing, you give him a little credit for, I guess, having no fear to to come up and challenge, and you think he can challenge guys like Tyson Fury and Andre Ward? I get it. He wants to make the money and is fine. I, I really, I have nothing against Tony Bellew other than the fact that he has some retarded takes on shit that really is, I, It's it doesn't matter when, you, when it comes down to it. But, you know, I, I just don't care about the guy. He's just not that good. He's fought, Vin, all that
1: time I just spent, all that time I just wasted reading through his resume. I hate doing that because it is a fucking waste of time. Mm-hmm. He has literally fought one elite fighter in his entire career, one, yeah, just one. Adonis yeah. Stevenson at 175 pounds, and he got knocked out. That's it. Nobody on this list, on this resume, nobody at any weight class has ever been accused of being elite.
0: No, no. You would think, you know, based on the what what this guy garners in the public, and especially in the he doesn't. Nobody cares about Tony Bellew over here. No, nobody does. Lit- literally zero people care about him over here. But in the UK, he is. A big name, one of the bigger names. And, you know, credit to him, I guess, for being able to pull it off. But sorry, not interested. Cool. Yeah.
1: What's next for Tony Bellew? Uh,
0: I'm sure it'll be. He'll probably be fighting. I don't know about Tyson Fury because I can't see Frank Warren and Eddie Hearn getting together on anything outside of a deal between Tyson Fury and, Tyson and Anthony Fury Joshua. Tyson embarrasses Tony Bellew. Yeah. I, I, I think he's literally, and it makes perfect sense. Fight Andre Ward. Fight him out of catch weight. Fight him out of like, 205-pound limit, you know, heavyweight fight, whatever. It, trust me. You don't think that Andre Ward wouldn't stamp that on his record and all of his, you know, loyal followers wouldn't stamp that as another reason why he is one of the greatest of all time,
1: beating a fucking pudgy average fighter?
0: Neat. Yeah, that's what's that's that would be what I would say is most likely to happen.
1: So, are we in agreement though that Tony Bellew is nothing more than just an attraction? That's it?
0: Yeah. Andre Ward will be coming over to the UK early part of next year. It'll be at some fucking stadium over there. Cool. People will eat it up. Oh, Max will
1: have his fucking dick out all (laughs) night. That shit will be raw. He won't. (laughs) Dude, by the fucking fight actually happening, he'll be shooting blanks. (laughs) He will have gotten way ahead of himself.
0: (laughs) Fucking terrible. What a horrible image.
1: Well, we're talking about just horribleness. Yeah. I don't even know if that's a word, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It kind of all
0: blends together. Cool. Cool.
1: Average fight. We just wasted our, uh, you know, probably the last 10 minutes on it, though.
0: Good. Neat. Moving on. Yeah.
1: Well, you know what, man? It deserves to be talked about. <laughs> All right. Let's get to the fight preview here, Vin. Um, May 12th, this Saturday night on ESPN from Madison Square Garden, Jorge Linares defends his WBA lightweight championship against Vasil Lomachenko. Most people have Vasyl Lomachenko, if you're into Pound for Poundless, as the best fighter in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Um, This will be Vasyl Lomachenko's first fight at 135 pounds, and he squares off against one of the very best fighters in the world. Most people who move up, they get an easy fucking teed up. Right. You know, and knock them down kind of fight.
0: Pacquiao moved up to 140. He got David Diaz and got a belt.
1: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, look, uh, this is a, you know, it's, it's not very often that you get two, um, you know, technicians in right. the ring that are, are, are so skilled and talented like this. It's very rare that you, you know, like I said before, get a guy that's moving up to, you know, leapfrogging through these classes. You see the, you know, the road that Mikey Garcia is taking. It's not the road that Vasyl Lomachenko is taking. This is a real fucking fight, man. And it's very interesting. Uh, for both guys, but I think that it is necessary at this time and this moment in both guys' career. Both guys need this
0: fight. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, Lomachenko still needs that fight that that truly announces him, and for some people to actually, you know, believe what their eyes should be telling them when they watch him fight, this is the win that he needs to seriously propel him to the unquestionable top two of the pound-for-pound list in boxing, if you care to go that route. It, to me, when this fight was first announced, and the more I thought about it, I said, "Fuck, man, you know, Lenaris is in for it, and I think he's going to get his ass beat." But I, I think I'm, I'm backtracking on that a little bit, only because this is the first time that Lomachenko is going to fight at 135. Does he have a ton of? Does Lomachenko known as a power puncher? No. Does he have power? Can he unleash it when given the opportunities? Yes. But I think this is a this is a bit of a different ball game here, and he's in the ring with a technician in Lenaris that I cannot this isn't fucking uh this isn't Rigo yes Rigo is a technical technically sound boxer It's a one trick pony though yes exactly and and Lenaris is not that I I think we're going to see more than we've ever seen from Lomachenko I think maybe we'll get even more uh he'll dig deeper into the bag of tricks than he has in any other fight and and I think it's close for a while and I think Lomachenko kind of halfway through the fight starts dominating I think this thing's going to go the distance, and it's going to be pretty entertaining along the way. It's going to have its its spots and exchanges, and I think Lenars is good enough to at least catch Loma and force him to take that you know the next step in the ring and and truly unleash what he's capable of.
1: I think one of the big things, and I agree with everything that you just said, that really helps this fight, and it helps the you know sort of what's next. It helps if 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 Loma you know if Lomachenko comes out vic, you know, victorious, not only will this be you know a career defining fight and a you know stamp of validation for those you know fucking idiots out there that don't know what they're seeing yet like you said um but i think that one of the positive things to come out the, involving canelo alvarez um that had an impact on the rest of the boxing world is that this fight was supposed to it was negotiated to happen at an earlier time because they were originally going to have the Canelo Alvarez and and Triple G replay fight as part of that Saddam Ali card on HBO. Right. So what actually serves well to this fight, to the future of both guys, to where this thing can go, is that it's going to be on at a reasonable time. It's going to be on ESPN, and people will tune in. Everybody I've talked to that watch combat sports on the peripheral, I've made it very clear. Dude, find yourself a TV around 8 o'clock, 8.30 p.m., on Saturday night, and turn on ESPN, wherever you're at. If you're at the local bar having a drink, whatever, turn it on. You yeah. need you need to see greatness. You're going to see two of the game's very best technicians. If you told me, then Ken, I want you to rank the best technical boxers in the sport today, I would have a hard time not putting
0: these guys number one and number two. Yeah, I, was, I would put Lomachenko one, and then I would not make it out of the top five without naming Lenars. Absolutely, uh, it, it's just that's what it is in this fight, and you know we're gonna see if truly you know there's some people and I being one of them, you probably being one of them, that thinks Lomachenko is even on a different level than a Linares is. That he he possesses this, you know you uh, you watch some of this weird training shit that he does and he's juggling fucking balls and he's he's got these my you know he's always training his brain. To me, his father the 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 way he's kind of and and I don't see a lot of other people doing it. To me, he's slowly kind of revolutionized and created this this fighter that is so highly concentrated that his his concentration in the ring cannot be broken. And he's constantly, you know, calculating the risk and reward of counter this and, and that. And he's on top of everything as a fighter. And I think this is the fight where we truly, truly, truly are going to get to see all of that from him. And I think he takes the next step, and I think Lenars comes out of this looking good as well, because he's going to be a fighter that has done significantly better against Lomachenko than any one of the last four or five guys that we've seen him that were thought of as you know elite or on the verge of elite that he completely dominated. I think Lenars will have a little bit more success than those guys, but at the end of the day, Lomachenko is going to uh, show the world. And and quite frankly, you mentioned it, you know, when you were talking, Lomachenko used to be kind of boxing's best kept secret. He has trickled out into the mainstream of combat sports. So MMA guys, anybody who's involved in any form of combat sport, they're, they're slowly coming to appreciate what actual greatness is. And when they watch this guy, they go, fuck yeah, I want, this guy is great. I want to see him fight every time he fights. And quite frankly, that's why we paid. $250, $300 Two hundred fifty, three hundred dollars for a couple tickets, and we're going to New York next weekend because I've seen him fight once. I know you want to see him fight. You got, you got to fight. when greatness comes around like this. It's something at least as as a diehard boxing fan like myself and yourself. I got to be there live to see it a few times. You
1: predicted, um, you know, that the fight goes the distance, and I think it is exactly the point that you made um, about that. You think that there's even. You know, Linares is special, and we know that Lomachenko is special, but you said that you think that Lomachenko is even a level above Linares, Mm -hmm. and that's why my prediction is what it is. Give me Vasil Lomachenko to stop Jorge Linares sometime around the 10th round of this fight. I think it's going to become too much. You know, we've seen it with highly athletic uh, fighters in the past, guys with great hand speed, guys that try to move a little bit. Um, Lomachenko is always a superior athlete in the right, you know, and it doesn't matter at some point in time, it's going to get to the point where it's going to become tedious. Do I think Jorge Linares quits? No, I think the 135 pounds is going to serve him well, but there's going to come a point where it's going to become dizzying for him because Lomachenko is not going to follow him around the ring. He's going to set the pace. We saw it in the Gary Russell Jr. Fight, right? Mm -hmm. We saw a guy that we thought this was going to become this boxing match. What ended up happening was with a guy that had elite hand speed and great athleticism and Gary Russell jr. Is that Lomachenko adopted this philosophy of shooting in and out, in and out, backing up, getting in, doing his work, getting out in and out, in and out, in and out. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see that until Lenares can't take it anymore. And the reason why if Lenares didn't have the reputation that he has with his chin, right? Then I don't think that this is a factor. I think you have a highly competitive fight that goes 12, 12 rounds. Um, Lenares is getting up there in age. The lighter weight classes, we know durability can be a problem. Mm-hmm. He's going to be in there with a guy that he has not faced in the athletic department. You know, facing these British tough guys at 135 pounds yeah, he has in been the U.K. The, he has
0: been the British assassin here he, lately. He
1: has, but these guys are tough guys. Yeah, Nobody accused any of those guys of being elite hey, athletes.
0: Luke, Luke Campbell took him life and death, and many people don't, you know, that fight kind of slips the mind of some people. Luke Campbell had him on the verge of uh, taking an L. You
1: know, and this is a completely different opponent than Luke Campbell. Yes. I mean, you know, yes. Luke Campbell's a
0: big lightweight. Yes.
1: You know, Lomachenko is going to look small in the ring next to Linares.
0: Luke Campbell is a standard textbook boxer, you know, built on, you know, the fundamentals of boxing. Lomachenko is he's all over the board. He's a one-off. Yes.
1: He's he's look, if there's anybody in the history of the sport that I compare Lomachenko to, it's Manny Pacquiao. And it's not their their styles are completely different. Right. But what makes them so similar is like what you said, is that they are they on the rise are must-watch TV. Yes. You're seeing something so unique, you'll never see it again. You'll never see anybody fight like Manny Pacquiao yeah. did and his 10-year fucking dominance in the sport. You'll never see it again. You'll reflect and look back on it as to seeing one of the most unorthodox, explosive unique fighters of all time and that's where Lomachenko will sit one day in the pantheon of all-time greats pay attention now because you'll never see another guy like Vasil Lomachenko ever again
0: Yeah, they did it kind of different ways you know Manny Pacquiao destroyed you with a a barrage of uh, of just power shots and kind of broke broke you down physically as a fighter Lomachenko does it Not only does he do it physically, not not as destructive as Manny, but he makes a fighter seriously think about, uh... Should I box anymore? Yeah. (laughs) I don't think I should be in the ring with this guy. This guy is going to make me look stupid. He 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 mentally breaks fighters down to the point where they're like, fuck, dude. I'm not going to get made to look like an asshole tonight. I'm out of here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a unique thing, Yeah, you know, and people will tune in. I think this is going to do great numbers. I think the crowd at MSG is going to be fucking hype. Yes, absolutely.
0: This is, you know, this was supposed to be the end, the, the, the third pillar in what was going to be the greatest two weekends in boxing in the last 10 years. Cause remember, Usyk and Gassiev was supposed to be fighting on Saturday or Friday night. Yeah. The 11th. And this was supposed, you know, and Triple G Canelo was supposed to be this past Saturday. In seven days, three great fights. I mean, fuck, dude. Now we're we're still we at least we still got Lomachenko Linares to kind of save it. But think about what that you know what boxing lost there, the kind of momentum they could have gained off of that.
1: I'm just looking forward to leaving here at 7.30 in the morning and heading up to New York City. It's gonna
0: be a good time, dude. Can't wait to spend spend time you know, throw some back with the uh with the fight fans in New York.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Um so we'll see all of you in New York City uh early Saturday
0: afternoon. Indeed.
1: All right, also in action uh at MSG, Michael Collin returns, Tiafima Lopez, Jamel Herring, and Michaela Mayer. Um the same night, HBO from Verona, New York, Saddam Ali versus Jamie Mungia. Honestly, Vin, I'm so dialed in on uh, on the fight that we're going to that I really don't care about this fight. Saddam Ali better be careful though, because Mangia is a pretty highly touted prospect.
0: Yeah, a kid comes to fight. Uh, Saddam Ali's going to be in for it. He's going to, you know, Mungia yet to prove himself against a talent like Ali, but uh, I-, I like him in this fight, man. I'm actually, uh, I- I'll take him to win this one. Yeah? Yeah, stop Ali late. Okay, I'm
1: going to take Ali. Yeah. yeah I'm just going to say that maybe this is one fight too soon for
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um Ali has got really quick hands. He's got good boxing pedigree, but he is a
0: little chinny. He looked good against Kodo. Kodo may be old or whatever, what have you, but you know, doing what he was able to do to Kodo was impressive.
1: All right, so that's the WBO Junior Middleweight Championship fight from the Turning Stone Casino. Um, the site of a very memorable fight that you and I went to in providing a call versus Matisse.
0: Yeah, that that was uh, that's still probably the best live fight I've been to. Yeah, me too, me too.
1: All right, news and notes, real quick, and we'll get out of here, Ben. Uh, your boy Gurry, uh next week, May nineteenth, uh, defends his WBC featherweight title in the Washington D.C. area down at the uh, MGM Grand National Harbor, just a short drive away, squaring off against highly touted Golden Boy prospect Jojo Diaz. We'll get to that preview next week when we get back from Madison Square Garden, but my question is then, are you going to be able to swing back to back weekend fights? you're a single guy you don't have a, you don't have wife and kids keeping you from going to back to back weekend fights do you
0: i got no I got nothing holding me back except for the uh price value <laughs> of of these fucking tickets. <laughs> the pricing is a joke two seventy five to sit ringside, two hundred for basically every other good seat in the house and if, uh, not too many of our listeners, I'm sure, have been there, but there's not a bad seat in the house. It only holds 2,600 people for a fight. Everything's jammed in its theater seat, seating. Seats are elevated. So you're sitting on the lower level of that uh, theater seating. You have a great seat. But fuck you. I'm not paying 200 bucks for Gary Russell and JoJo Diaz. And I'm looking at tickets last week. I'm going to go. But the only way I'm going to go is the day of the fight when uh, StubHub or whoever's got third, you know, uh, black market tickets available, you know, I, and they drop them to half price, yeah, then I'll go. If it's 100 bucks, absolutely. But I look on, uh, on Ticketmaster now, and there is maybe 400 seats sold the last time I looked. <laughs> what? Maybe. The fight's a week away. This is a really good fight. Yeah. I, to be honest, I'm thinking I'm sitting there last week going, did they even announce the tickets went on sale? I didn't see shit about that. I didn't hear nothing. I normally get an email from Golden Boy, you know, because I've been buying tickets, so I get the pre-sale email. I, I, I did not see any of it. So I just said, oh, let me check it out. Yeah, they're on sale. They're expensive, and there's a lot of them available. So if you want to go and you want to pay top price, you want to pay $200 to see that fight, go ahead. To me, after paying almost 300 this past weekend, plus hotel, plus drinking and carrying on in New York, You know, can I afford to do it? I probably can afford to do it. Am I going to do it? Not unless some prices come down, son. Absolutely not. And you can't go. You're probably (laughs) not going to be able to swing back-to-back weekends with the wife and kid, right? (laughs) Uh, I'm hard-pressed trying to sell anybody, any one of our boys, on the, the who's fighting? Oh, Gary Russell Jr. He's from Maryland, you know. They're like, I don't know who the fuck Gary Russell Jr. is. I don't want to pay that fucking money to go see that shit. Fuck that. Right. So uh, yeah, that, I mean, I, I, I'm not gonna go by my fucking self.
1: All right, Ben. Well, you know what? We'll just have to get on Tinder, find yourself a date to take to the fight. I'll be
0: think? damned if I'm <laughs> if I'm spending any more than ten bucks on a Tinder date.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, that's <laughs> awesome. Um, all right, let's close the show with your boy, Keith. One-time Thurman.
0: Well, I can say this, that the shirt has arrived. I have acquired my Keith one-time Thurman KOs for Life shirt. And quite possibly we'll be rocking it next weekend in New York. So, you know, I'll be easy to find. Probably the only man in the city with a Keith Thur- Actually, I know I'm the only man in the city with a Keith Thurman shirt on. But as far as him dropping that belt, I'm going to tell everybody this. There's a little more than meets the eye to this story. you can going to say, Vin, you're such a fucking shill for Keith Thurman. There's something going on behind the scenes contract-wise and whatever with him and Al Heyman. And quite frankly, for those who don't know what an Al Heyman contract consists of, basically every fighter that signs a contract with him, there's a a line. I can't remember what it's like. Section C line or uh, line 32, whatever it is. It basically states that once you reach whatever said number is written in here, your contract is automatically extended Set for said number meaning purse. Yes, per, yeah, your total amount of money earned. Say it for Thurman it was let's say it was 3 4 million dollars. Once you reach that number, your contract automatically extends for two more years automatically. Now there is no I have to meet this number again once beyond that. So Keith Thurman got offered a lot less money to fight than he's used to fighting for and he said fuck that. You know, I my hopes is that he's figuring out a way to get out of the contract with with Al Heyman, but I doubt it. I'm not going to sit here and make excuses for fucking Keith Thurman. The guy has been what he has been. It's been a complete joke over the last two years. Has he has he fought you know tough fights? Yes, I think he gets a little a little bit more shit than he deserves based on his resume and who he has fought. But to be as inactive and just. Kind of delusional outside of it, and and what you know it's it, it becomes very, very hard, and that 's why you know when i when I defend Keith Thurman, I hope everybody out there knows that it's 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 a bit, and I'm committed to the bit at this point <laughs> I'm playing the fucking violins on the Titanic as this ship is fucking going down, and I'm going down with it Oh, uh, you're all in
1: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah dude look it's it's uh you know I think it comes to a lot of surprise to our listeners out there what you just said. But it is 100% true. Um, it's not really the, there's no speculation in it. There is an issue with this contract right now. Yeah. Um. And it, it becomes very convenient to feign an injury when you have been injured. Right. Yeah. And just say, no, I'm injured again. Fights off. Well, when you're used to making $2 million, right, per fight, and somebody offers you under a million. Well, No. This is what I fight for. This is my value. This is what you told me my value
0: is. And what's it matter if he drops? Uh, Honestly, if you're thinking his thinking right now, okay, have my belt. You two go fight for it. When I come back, I'm going to fight the winner of you two, who I've already beaten both of you, so it doesn't matter.
1: Right. (laughs) And maybe I will be or maybe I won't be with a new promoter. Right. Right. But I wouldn't expect to uh, see Keith Thurman back in the ring until his promotional dispute has been settled.
0: No, it's going to be a while. I don't know if you saw uh, Eddie Hearn kind of uh, release his, his wish list of fighters that he'd like to kind of whisk away from Mr. Heyman. Uh, the Charlos, both of the Charlos, Keith Thurman being one, Errol Spence being another. Um, shit, I can't. There was Deontay Wilder. There, there was a couple others as well. So I don't know what's the fuck. what's going on here and you got Eddie being cryptic about his announcement in two weeks, whatever the fuck that's going to be, some form of network deal in the U.S., whether that's going to come with luring these fighters away from Heyman or maybe him and Heyman have a backroom fucking deal that's already settled. And, you know, basically Eddie Hearn's going to become Lou DiBella with a little bit more power in charge of Al Heyman fighters. Hmm. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. But chances are that the big announcement by Eddie Hearn is probably just going to be Frank Buglioni's next fight. <laughs> Let's be honest, <laughs> right?
0: Buglione, Bell, you are coming to Barclays. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Did you happen to see that fucking retweet that Spike O'Sullivan sent out of Frank Buglioni? I don't know if it's his girlfriend or his wife. And he says that there's a bee on her, and he sticks a little piece of paper with the letter B on it and sticks it to her back. And she's wearing like this little summer dress, like in front of a fountain, looks like somewhere in Europe, you know, maybe Italy or something like that. Right. And she's standing there, you know, um, and he's like, There's a bee on your back. There's a bee on your back. And she. Flips her shit and takes all of her clothes off and she's in her brawn thong, like running around thinking there's a bee on her. <laughs> and she falls down after Buglioni fucking reveals that it was a joke. She's like running after him, falling on her face naked. <laughs> I
0: will have to check oh, that out.
1: Dude, it was so funny. Maybe that's what they're gonna release, a Frank Buglioni reality show. <laughs> right. You just never know with Eddie Hearn. You no, know? No. I mean, his whole shtick over there with you know, announcements. I mean, he, he must do more announcements than he does fights. You well, know? let's be
0: honest, too. The wells run kind of dry for Eddie in the U.K. I know he's got Amir Khan back, and he's, you know, he's he can possibly make a, a khan Brook fight. Anthony Joshua is going to try to become as much of his own entity as he can. I'm sure Eddie Hearn will be a part of it moving forward, but it'll be much like Floyd Mayweather with Floyd Mayweather promotions. It's going to be A.J. promotions backed by, you know, he's going to – Anthony Joshua is going to want to take more control of his career. He doesn't have a ton of fighters. He's got to figure out a way to to keep his business rolling. So I got to imagine he's going to be stealing more fighters like the likes of Danny Jacobs away from Al Heyman or whoever.
1: I think it would definitely be an improvement for the sport. It would definitely be an improvement. For some of these guys' careers that have uh, seemingly met the financial thresholds and retainers involved in their contracts,
0: say what you want about Eddie Hearn, and I'm not the biggest Eddie Hearn fan. You're not, you know, he's he kind of gets away with some shit and people let it slide. I'd
1: like to party with Eddie.
0: I would too, but I'll tell you this: the guy knows how to promote a fighter. Yeah, there's no questioning that.
1: No, there's no doubt about it. I think he's the best promoter in the game right now. You have to take the fucking, you know, the bullshit along with the gold that you get when it comes on to putting an event. The guy knows how to put on an event. Has he come along at the right time as the centerpiece of that? Ben Anthony Joshua? Yes. The, the, the stars are aligned in the timing of Eddie Hearn's rise in their family business. Now, let's
0: be honest. Eddie Hearn picked up a ton of fans by just choke slamming and stone-cold stunning-ness of the boxing voice in some of the most um, – it makes you wonder how the hell those guys got to where they are in the sport as far as a an entity that covers the sport and is respected and is at, at all of the fights and covers all, everything. And I get it. I'm not taking away anything for anything from those guys grind and being able to get to where they get to or where they've gotten to. But guys, you guys, you exposed yourselves and your leader exposed your exposed all of you for your just biased total, just biased delivery and, Lack of knowledge, quite frankly. I mean, you look fucking stupid.
1: Look, I think it's the, it, it, it's, it's the age of social media. I think it's the climate in this country right now. I mean, honestly and truthfully, look, you know, bloggers have been around for a little while now. Guys have made their own mark in the sport, covering the sport, um, you know, presenting the sport. You know, have come from the ground up. Not everybody has taken the path of Ivy League into boxing, like, you know, the respected Doug Fisher and, you know, the less respected Max Kellerman. <laughs> you know what i mean not everybody has that that traditional right education background in covering the sport so outside of guys like doug fisher and steve kim um and a lot of the guys that do great justice to the sport uh, you know there is a gigantic vacuum that i would say is probably a majority of the coverage where um you know these people sneak in and they get credentialed because they fanboy guys they promote their You know these promoters of these guys, because you know the sport is so fractured. Take advantage of these bloggers, and they empower them um, to basically be mouthpieces for these guys. You know what I'm saying?
0: Pump the narrative to everybody, would you?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and you know, and the truth is, is that it's okay to kind of do that. I mean, we've seen and been to fights, you know, live and in person, where you see like people wearing credentials doing like fucking, you know, photo bomb selfies. I've seen credentialed bloggers from sites just like the Boxing Voice involved in these crowd moves at the old pbc shows when they first launched where they would literally take a a a group of people that they would let into the fight for free they would provide them food and beverage and they would move them around to all of the camera shots throughout an empty stadium and there are credentialed reporters not only in the picture but wearing their credentials and flossing it like like look look i made it
0: That was on Spike. That happened all the time on PBC on Spike.
1: Yeah. You know, and so, look, again, it's all a symptom of boxing. Yep. While the sport of boxing is strong, and there's a lot of talent in boxing, especially at the top, the truth is is that the sport is covered in a very piss-poor way. I made a tweet about it. um, Well,
0: what paid entity, you know, whether it be, you know, you still have the yahoos and, and a couple that have guys that, they employ that really shouldn't be employed covering the sport. Uh, they're, they're kind of view it out of the peripheral vision, and they're not really dialed in like they should be. But, you know, this isn't the day and age where, you know, newspapers were thriving and every newspaper had a dedicated boxing writer. Right. Back in the day, just like horse racing, it's just died. So these the, the credible guys that are educated and, and, you know, take their job seriously and are, are true journalists, they just don't exist in this sport. They get Yahoo's like me and you, Ken. They come in and fuck the whole shit up. No. <laughs> we don't cover the sport. No, we don't. We talk about the sport. Let's make that very clear. And I think we've done that plenty of times on the show. If you think that we are some type of paid entity or some a or new, some <laughs> news organization. Yeah, no, we are not. We are two guys with a two microphones, a semi decent studio with a couple computers that like boxing and talk boxing. Period. That's it. We're opinionated. That's it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, we're not a uh, an NBA beat reporter, um, you know, that basically their network says, hey, there's a fight this weekend. Uh, you, you got an opening? <laughs> right. You know, and they show up and make, you know, profound statements about something that they uh, clearly aren't paying attention to.
0: And never once, honestly, never once have we ever even tried, nor do I really. I mean, not saying that I wouldn't accept being credentialed to a fight. But I, I've, it's never been something where I'm like, yeah, I want to get credentialed. I want to go to this fight for free. I want to go to that fight. Like, I could try to get a credential to Gary Russell and Jojo Diaz and and probably could get close if not get one. I don't, I'm not I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in being up in the crowd with the rest of the people. What, are you going to write a story about it then? No, that's exactly <laughs> not what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my opinions like I do on this podcast every week. You either like them or you don't. You tune in because you hate me or you you hate my opinions or, or you like my opinions. As long as you are tuning in, I don't give a fuck.
1: Yeah, and as soon as you turn the microphone off, you're going to go get a fucking cold cut. Yes. And go watch a fucking basketball game tonight.
0: Exactly. You know? Yeah.
1: All right. Well, I'm going to go pack my bag for NYC, so I guess I'll see you early in the a.m. on Saturday.
0: I'm going to go pack a bowl and go home and enjoy the rest of the sporting Sunday, Ken.
1: I think I'll do the same. <laughs> I think I'll do the same. Uh, We appreciate all of you tuning in for another Sunday edition of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. This is episode 203. Be sure to subscribe to the show today on iTunes, Spreaker, and Google Play. And be sure to drop by the Boxing Rant YouTube channel today. So, Vin, it doesn't look like we'll be doing a a Sunday show next week.
0: Uh, Absolutely not. That will be a fucking recovery day.
1: Yes. Oh, and don't forget, then it's also Mother's Day.
0: Yeah, thank you for the reminder, sir.
1: <laughs> Be sure to give Mama a call on Sunday. At least
0: gotta go give her a hug before I go home.
1: <laughs> <laughs> before that plate of wings and a nap. Right. All right. Well, we'll see all of you when we get back from MSG. But until then, follow us on Twitter at Vince Cummings eighty one and at Kenny Keith Junior. So until episode two hundred four, Vin, drink up. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to The Tale of the Team on TheBoxingRant.com Muchas gracias, everybody!